I want to read this verse, Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at last you have renewed your concern for me. Again, he's writing from this prison, this subterranean first century prison with refuge dripping down on him like he barely has enough to eat. There's probably all kinds of disease, rats, nastiness, bugs in there. Uh, Thank you for renewing your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned about me before, but you had no opportunity to show up. What he's talking about, he's saying that... Basically, what he's saying is you came, you came to this prison. You gave me something to eat. You helped. You gave me some clothes. Uh, not that I speak from any personal need. Now, again, remember where he's writing this. For I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance in life and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life. Whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having abundance or being in need, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength. Again, that reference to inner strength and confident peace. What is he saying, man? He's saying... That, hey, even though I'm in a messed up situation and I would literally starve to death if you guys didn't bring me food in this subterranean prison. Like this prison, this this subterranean dark place that I'm in, right? It's teaching me something. It's teaching me that no matter what I have. And the thing that I love here, he doesn't demonize like someone prospering. He's saying, hey, man, like even when it's going good, that it's not a bad thing. Let, let me tell you something. Like I would love to have a new car. Like, we're just going to keep it real. My vehicle, that car out there, like, I have literally, it's been the worst vehicle I have ever owned in my entire life. Uh, there's these videos of these guys on YouTube. They'll take this stuff called Tannerite, uh, and they'll put it inside old refrigerators, and they shoot it. So if you guys know what I'm talking about, it's explosive. You know, you better have some land, and you better you better make sure you're okay with God, because some of the dumb stuff these guys do. I, mean, I saw a guy, he put it inside a refrigerator, shot it. He, he had to been about at least 200 yards away. Shoots the thing. The thing explodes, and the door, I mean, bro, like 250 miles an hour, this refrigerator door is flying at this guy, right? That's how I feel about that vehicle out there. Literally, our first church service, my car was smoking in front of this. And let's let's just keep it real. Like, there's only a couple people here, but I know I know we're onto something, and I'm not gonna. I'll be here every week. Like, we ain't gonna give up. We're not gonna stop, right? And uh, what is what is Paul saying? He's saying, man, I'm learning. Like, whether my car's smoking, thank thank God I got a car that smokes because some people can't even drive. You know, uh, thank God that you know I have a bill to worry about because some people don't even have a house to live in. Right? It's this it's this idea of perspective, perspective, man. I don't know about you, but I, I think one of the best things we could do, especially in American culture, is we could ask ourselves a very simple question. How much is enough? Right? If you don't ever ask yourself the question, and I'm talking about material stuff, if you don't ever ask yourself the question, how much is enough, you're going to be chasing that thing for the rest of your life, and you're never going to be happy. Uh, one of the Rockefellers, one of the most wealthiest men to ever live, as he was dying, they, 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 he said to somebody, just a little bit more. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had billions of dollars. It was never enough. How much is enough for you? And again, we're not, we're not here to demonize prosperity, man. God wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. He's going to get me a car. I believe it. I've been, I've been praying about it. Like, hey, he wants to do good things for you. Like, he's a good father. He wants to bless you. But, like, don't let that stuff define you, right? Uh, how much is enough, man? It's a good question to ask yourself. Maybe this week, as you're, as you're going throughout your week, how 
much is enough to you? Uh, you know, how much is enough? I want to share one of Johnny Cash's videos. I think it, I think it's one of the most powerful music videos I've ever seen in my entire life. And I love music. Uh, I've grown up around music. When I saw this video, this video just kind of jolted me to my core. It's the last video that Johnny Cash recorded before he died. And the song's called Hurt. It wasn't written by Johnny Cash. It was actually written by a native Ohio guy. His name's Trent Reznor, if you've ever heard of the band Nine Inch Nails. Uh, he wrote the song, and the song originally was about heroin addiction. That's what the song was about. Uh, and Johnny Cash put his own spin on it in a way they put the put the video together and told Johnny Cash's life story. It takes on a whole different meaning. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Uh, again, to me, and, and this was the last video that he ever recorded before he died. When Trent Reznor saw the video, he said, man, that's not, that's not my song anymore. It's Johnny's song. So I want to get into this idea uh, about vapor after we watch this video. Your life is a vapor. There's a lot of good music videos out there, but I'll argue with you to the grave, man. That's one of the most powerful videos I've ever seen. Um, powerful stuff, powerful stuff. I want to read this. It says James chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. Come now and pay attention to this. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make a profit. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor, like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot. That is visible for a little while and then vanishes in the thin air. Again, Johnny Cash, the video is just so powerful, man. Like, what is he what is he doing in this video? He's go, he's he's it's a recollection of his whole life and how there's so much like regret that he has in his life. Like he built his whole life. He he comes came to the realization in the end that he had built his whole life on things that don't even matter. Like I don't know about you, but like when I saw those visuals of like the Johnny Cash Museum and the stuff's broken, the records are broken, and like he's saying, like, none of this stuff matters. Like in the end, like all the platinum plaques, all the fame, all the notoriety, it doesn't mean that he didn't love music, but this life, this person that he had tried to pursue being, like it didn't matter in the end. Like he had based everything on things that weren't important, right? It's incredible, incredible. One of the most powerful scenes in that video to me is when he's sitting at that banquet table. And I don't, I don't know if you noticed it, but as they zoom in on the food, like the, it's this massive banquet with all this food, but the food's like rotting. Like the fish looks like it's been there forever. The turkey's all shriveled up, right? And then the most, to me, the most powerful image of the whole video is when he's saying you can have it all. And he's old, he's at the end of his life, his hand's shaking. And he's pouring out the wine. Like, dude, this doesn't mean anything, man. And like, you know, we talked about having a peace of mind. The first song, what does it mean to have a peace of mind? This video and this idea I want to get into is like the realization that our life is a vapor. And don't spend your whole life chasing things that don't matter. Like, it, it doesn't, there's, there's so many things we base our lives off of that they, in the end, they just don't matter. I like walking through cemeteries. Uh, I'm not like some weirdo. Like, I don't do anything to people while I'm there. But I just like walking through a cemetery. Uh, and I, I like looking at the graves. I think I like cemeteries because they're peaceful. Like, people aren't talking. Like, I feel like I can clear my mind. But I, I like to look at the headstones and look at the names, right? And, and this person died at this age. And, you know, this person was only eight years old. And, you know, this dude was like alive in 1800. You know, it's just really interesting to me. Now, on a, on a headstone, you have 
the person's name, you have the date of birth, you have a dash in the middle, then you got the date of death, and then maybe something flowery that somebody said about them. Sometimes, it, you know, if you have a lot of money, you can get your, like, face laser etched, because that matters, right, in the end. Uh, you can get your face laser etched on the thing. Uh, what I find interesting about the whole thing is, as I walk through the cemetery, I like to imagine, like, who was that person? You've got the date of birth, the date of death, and you've got the dash. We're living in the dash right now. We are living in the dash. What are you doing with your dash? You know, what are people going to remember about you once you once you uh, pass on? You know, think about there's there's people in the Bible. There's this whole lineage of kings, and I won't get into all the history there. But like these kings that were supposed to be leaders, like most of them, like they were jacked up, and the only thing that some of them were remembered for is this little phrase. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like you could read like one after another after another. Like he did evil too in the eyes of the Lord. Like all these people, like they were remembered for nothing but doing destructive things, you know. And then once in a while, as you keep reading through, you'll, you'll, you'll see he did right in the eyes of the Lord. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. Like I think about that. And, and that's what I love about the Bible is the Bible is not like this censored, sterile thing. Like some people that you think would be remembered for horrible things in Scripture are remembered for amazing things. There was this woman named Rahab. She, she used to be a prostitute, but she did something incredible and helped out God's people and turned the whole thing around. And she's remembered not just as Rahab, the prostitute, but Rahab who helped God's people, right? Why, why is it, you know, when, when you meet somebody, especially, especially true with men, the first thing they ask you, hey, what do you do for a living? Right? You ever, you ever think about that? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a bad question. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I think that can... Uh, you know, deal with some of that social awkwardness of first meeting. So, hey, man, what do you do for a living? You know, kind of breaks the ice. But I think oftentimes in this culture, we define ourselves based on what we do. Like, what you do is who you are. No, it's not. That's what you do. That's not who you are. It's part of who you are, but that's not the totality of who you are. Uh, I think oftentimes in this in this culture, like, we're defined by what we produce. And, and, this is especially true oftentimes with a lot of men, is we're defined by our job, we're defined by our career, how many hours we work and how much money we make and like, like you, all that stuff is good and like it's good to work, it's good to have work ethic, it's good to be responsible with your money, but like being solely defined by what you produce, that's not a good thing, that's the curse. It talks about in the book of Genesis, one of the results of the curse when they rebelled against God is that men were gonna be defined by what they produced. They were going to be solely defined by what they produce. Do I take great pleasure in going in someone's house and painting it when it's disgusting and like the plaster's falling off? Is there like a certain satisfaction? Like, is that a reflection of my faith to help transform someone's space? Absolutely. But that my job, my employment is not the sole thing that determines who I am. I don't know if you've ever been to an awkward funeral. Uh, I've been to a lot of horrible, horrible funerals, a lot of young people dying far too early. Uh, but have you ever been to an awkward funeral where people are struggling to say something good about the person? You ever been there? Uh, I know for me, there was a time in my life, like if I was the past, I, I don't know what people would say. Like, I, yeah, man, he uh, he uh, broke into my house. He stole my radio, you know, like he sold my kid drugs. Like there was a time in my life, I'm not judging those people. We believe, man, that like tomorrow, like can be different than today. Uh, we believe there can be a plot twist. 
Uh, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be alive. Uh, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, I should not have made it. Uh, but there was a plot twist. The beautiful thing about how your story begins or what was yesterday is it doesn't determine. Yesterday does not determine the plot line for your future and how your story will continue and how you will end. And I posted this on social media yesterday. And, and this thought, man, like to me, like this is transformative for me. There's an accuser, right? That's that's how scripture describes Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. He has no power over us. His only power is in the lie and in the deception. But the devil does not have any power over anybody. Evil doesn't have any power over anybody. It's when we choose to believe the lie. We choose to believe the accusation. So you have the accuser and then there's the author. The Bible describes Jesus and describes God as he is the author of life. What does an author do? An author writes things. He creates bodies of work that people read, right? He creates bodies of work that people read. So there's an author and there's an accuser. But the beautiful thing is we get to choose who we believe and who we give the pen to. Now, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your last week has been like, your last five years. Like, there was a time in my life where I believed all the things that the accuser said about me. I believed all this destructive thing and the things that people had spoken over my life and all these things, that, that these horrible negative thoughts. Sometimes we treat other people better than we treat ourselves and our thoughts. You need to be, you need to be kind to yourself in your thoughts. And there came a point where I had this uh, interaction with God when I was in prison. And I realized that, hey, man, you don't have to believe this stuff anymore. You do not have to believe everything that you think. Do you know that's true? Not everything that you think is true. You don't have to believe every little random rogue thought that comes into your mind. I know I'm not the only one here that has a circus going on in their mind. You don't have to believe it. We get to choose who we give the pen to. Yeah. And the, and the beautiful thing is God is the master. He's a master, master storyteller. He really is. And he has the ability to do incredible plot twists. And I want to tell you a quick story about one of my best friends, one of the most incredible people I've ever met in the world. Uh, this here, this is Brian Washington. We call him Dub. He was my uh, cellmate in juvenile prison. And uh, he's a little innocent guy there, you know, not not juvenile prison there, just an innocent little kid. And we were talking about before we started today, nobody wakes up when they're eight years old and says, you know, I don't want to go to prison for a violent crime. It doesn't happen. Uh, but the way his story was written, his father wasn't very active in his life. A uh, lot, of, lot of things going on, getting wrapped up in negativity. And so over time and over the years, he started to believe the voice of accusation. And here he is again. He, uh, Brian Dub that we called him, he had this uh, real cheesy grin, grin, man. He's one of those guys you could look at like if he wasn't smiling, like he looked like he wanted to kill you. But the moment he smiled, he looked like the, he, the friendliest guy you've ever met, you know. And that's him on the right. Uh, he had this, dip, this big old dimple, you know, he smiled. That was one of our social workers. Her name was Sue. And uh, so this is Brian in juvenile prison. We were in a place called Tico in Columbus. Uh, he was in there for a violent crime. We were on a cell block that was all for violent juvenile offenders. Again, he had believed the voice of the accuser. And in his life, the trajectory of his life was headed a certain direction. And But Brian chose to take the pen out of the, the accuser's hand and give it to the author of life. And so he and I started studying the scriptures in, in prison. He started working through some of his issues and Brian got out of prison and did not go back to prison. This is him with his granddaughter. Again, he's got that, 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 that smile is like almost there. He still looks like he kind of strangled you, but like once a smile comes out, but here he is again, no, no father figure in his life, learning to be uh, a, a male role model in the lives of his grandkids. 
And then here he is with his daughter. There's that smile, man, like that epic smile, you know. And the cool thing about Brian was while he was in prison, he chose not to waste his time. And so there was a barber school in the, in the juvenile prison that we were in. And Brian, he's the best barber I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, we were all doing, on that cell block that we were in, we were all doing what's called juvenile life. So a lot of us got locked up very young. And we were sentenced to be in that prison until we were 21 years old. Thank God we weren't, you know, indefinitely, but we got out. And so Brian, like myself, chose to go to barber college, and he learned how to cut hair, and he was amazing, like I was telling him earlier. Like, he could cut anyone's hair in, like, 12 minutes. He had this little game he would do where he would compete with the other barbers, and no matter how crazy and wild your hair was, you could look like you just came out of a cave for 30 years, and he would have you looking like, you know, you're on GQ with it. Literally, his goal was, like, 8 to 12 minutes, like any haircut, any, any culture, any race, he could do anything and do it perfect. Brian, Brian Washington, so he graduated barber school, got out of prison, went to uh, cosmetology school, started his own barber and cosmetology uh, business in one of the rough neighborhoods in Cleveland. This thing thrived, su succeeded. Uh, he became a, an incredible entrepreneur, employed other people. This is his daughter, Cassandra. Again, the joy of his life. He was a wonderful dad to his daughter. And this here uh, is his barber chair. Uh, I, I received the news two days ago uh, that he died in his sleep. He died in his sleep. Uh, he was in his 30s. I, I don't know the full details of what was going on, but he wasn't, wasn't on drugs or anything like that. I think just uh, heart failure or something happened, but this is his barber chair, and uh, you can see there's a memorial set up. But, but Brian, uh, he defied every odd. Like, if you would have looked at, like, his history, his past, like, the, tra the trajectory of where his life was headed, like, he destroyed every statistics when he got out, even though they say... Uh, you know, if you've been to prison one time, like you have a 70% chance in going back, even though one in five African-American men are in prison, right? And statistically, like he should be back, like he should be going back. He fought back and he refused to go. Uh, he refused to give his pen back to the accuser and his life was completely transformed. He became a great dad and provider for his kids, right? He chose to change who he gave the pen to. This is Brian's legacy, even though he died. His legacy is not he went to juvenile prison for a violent crime. He completely changed his life. Uh, yeah, so things can change. Things can change. And for me personally, if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, I never would have changed my life. I would have no hope. I would be lost without his resurrection. But oftentimes when some people think about resurrection, they just think about it's, a, it's something that happens after you die. And I don't believe like that's what Jesus taught. I don't believe that's what scripture teaches. I think resurrection is something that happens the moment that you believe, the moment that you connect with who Jesus is. Like, boom, you come alive. You come alive. It doesn't, you're, we're not just sitting here like waiting to die. And then someday, man, when I die, I'm going to be over there somewhere. Like, yeah, there, that stuff's going to happen. But, bro, that stuff happens the moment that we believe. And I want to read a couple things out of the book of Revelations. Don't worry. It's not the four horsemen of death, right? Just follow me here for a minute. Revelations 21 is says, see, the tabernacle of God is among men. This is talking about what the world is going to look like when everything is made the way it should be. You know there's coming a day when God's going to put the world back together. He's, there's coming a day where he's going to make everything right. See, the tabernacle of God is, is among men, and he will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. 
There will be no more sorrow or anguish or crying or pain for the former order of things have passed away. And he who sits on a throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Write these words are faithful and true, accurate, incorruptible and trustworthy. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the one who thirsts, I will give water from the fountain of life without cost. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God almighty, the omnipotent, the ruler of all and the lamb are its temple. Revelations 22, verse 3, they will no longer exist. There will no longer exist anything that is cursed because sin and illness and death are gone. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve and worship him with great awe and joy and loving devotion. They will be privileged to see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And they will no long, there will no longer be night. They have no need for lamplight or sunlight because think about this they have no need for light because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign as kings forever and ever just think about that thought the God that we're talking about the God of scripture he is so massive he is so consuming like there's there's going to come a time where you we literally won't even need the sun because the glory of God is, is is enough to light up the whole entire universe I don't know about you but that blows my mind it says that there's not there's not God will be among the men what, what is that saying? It's saying that resurrection looks like God is not a detached God. You know that? Jesus is not detached from the world. He is not like some cosmic killjoy just sitting out there waiting to strike everybody. You know what I mean? He is not detached. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John 1, 14, in the message translation, it's talking to Jesus. When Jesus came into the earth, it says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, right? And it talks about wiping away tears. What does what is, what is, what is wiping someone's tears away do? It's helping them through their grief, right? It talks about this idea of weeping with those who weep. That's what resurrection looks like. Resurrection looks like we enter the suffering of people around us. This is one of the ones we have a hard time with. We want to give answers and verses, but Jesus wept. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He knew he was going to go heal that dude. He was going to raise that dude, Lazarus, from the dead. But before he did, he stopped and he wept and he felt the pain of those people around him. Resurrection is asking how can we participate with God in the removal of things that are causing death around us. That's what resurrection looks like. So that's the questions we're asking as the French church. How can we look around the city of Hamilton, the things that are killing Hamilton and Butler County? How can we participate with God in the removal of those things? That is resurrection. Resurrection is fighting for justice and peace for the oppressed and marginalized among us. Where are those around us in Hamilton who are suffering, oppressed, and in pain? And how can we lighten the load that they carry? Resurrection is when we use our power, influence, and resources to lift those who are powerless, marginalized, and oppressed. And to give those a voice who have no voice. And to use our resources to give good things to those who can. It talks about there's this fountain of life that God's going to give freely and no one, no one has to pay. It's, it's gonna, there's no penance to pay. There's no temple. There's nothing between us and our creator. I love that idea that in heaven, there's no temple. There's no church building. There's, no, there's, not, there's nothing separating us from God. We will see him. It talks about their, their names being on their foreheads, right? What does that mean? That I mean, it's a creepy verse. Let's be honest. I, I deal with a lot of people locked up in prison, man. These guys get these face tats. Some of these mumble rappers now, you know, they, they look, like a, look like the bottom of a uh, high school desk. You know, they get these dumb things tattooed all over the faces. I love tattoos, but that stuff is silly, man. Uh, but it talks about God's going to, he's going to write his name on their foreheads. What, what is that? What is that? What is he saying? There's a sense of ownership. There's a sense of belonging. What is God saying? He's saying that resurrection looks like people learn who they belong to. Everyone experiences a sense of belonging, right? 
There's this deep sense of belonging. You know what the opposite of resurrection is? It's clicks, right? It's separation. It's division. And it says that they're going to rule. People will experience a deep sense of honor, dignity, and entrusted with ruling. I want you to ask yourself this morning, do you have a satisfied mind? Are you experiencing a deep sense of inner peace? And it's okay if, you, if you're not. It's all good, man. I've gone through times in my life where my mind felt like chaos. It felt like everything was falling apart, that I, maybe on the outside everything looked okay, but inwardly I was dying. Maybe you don't have inner peace this morning. I want you to know that God wants to give you that peace. He wants to give you that peace. And just take this time, take this moment, take this, this space that we're in right now as we close and just say, God, I acknowledge that peace comes from you. Those of us in this room, Lord, may we go forth with this deep awareness that the kingdom of God is within us. And when we connect with who you are, when we connect with the resurrection of Jesus, there is a deep peace that will surpass all understanding, God. And Lord, may we remember this afternoon, maybe you've forgotten, maybe some of us in this room have forgotten that our life is just a vapor. Maybe we've forgotten the fragility of life and we've forgotten that we could be here one minute and gone the next. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we are aware that our life is just a vapor, not in some fearful way, but with the realization that every day we would live more fully. We would say those things that we, we, we need to say. We wouldn't be afraid to tell those we love that we love them. We wouldn't be afraid to make things right where they need to be right. Lord, remind us that we could die tomorrow with never having that conversation we should have had. Remind us, Jesus, of what we need to do. Remind us of what we need to connect with. Remind us, Lord, that we want to be able to say like Johnny Cash did, in all his flaws, in all his weakness, God, he could say at the end of his life that he had a satisfied mind. I pray for those of us in this room that we would be reminded that our life is short, that you desire to give us inner peace and remind us, God, that you have called us to not just believe in the resurrection, but participate in the resurrection. Lord, show us what that looks like for the city of Hamilton. Show us what that looks like for Butler County. Show, show us what that looks like for this region, Lord. May we be people that participate in resurrection and just don't believe in it. Lord, where does resurrection happen? It happens in the places of death. Help us to seek out those places of death in the city. Those that are struggling with addiction. Those that are coming home from prison. Those whose, whose education and wealth has been a barrier for them to connect with you, God. Help us to seek out those places of death and to breathe your life because it's not just in this building with these people during this time that it's happening but you said in your word that the kingdom of God is within us and if it's within us then everywhere we go, every place our foot treads, we have the ability to unleash it and so I just pray that we would be people of resurrection that people would sense and feel the life when they're around us and God I just pray for everybody in this room, God, and those in this neighborhood and those in this city, God, that we would all come to the awareness and the awakening of the power of your death, of the cross, of your blood, and of the resurrection. I thank you, Jesus, when we connect with that, everything else 
is never the same. And so I just thank you for your freedom. I thank you for the great liberation, God. I thank you for the great liberation that's happening in the prisons and the prison work we do. I thank you for the great liberation that's happening in the lives of people in this room. And we just thank you as we leave this place. We thank you for giving us peace of mind. We thank you for giving us the gift of life and the gift of breath. And so when we think about people like Brian who died in his sleep, we thank you that we have another day. I pray that this day would count, that we would live this day fully and remind us, God, of the power of the resurrection and that you invite us to participate in it, not just believe in it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You guys have a wonderful day. Feel free to hang out, chat if you want to. We're glad you're here. If you're given, there's a joy box in the back. There's flyers in the back. We encourage you just to help get the word out with what we're doing here. And just remember this week, man, like a satisfied mind. There's something powerful with that. If you need prayer for anything, you're going through a hard time, I'd love to chat with you and pray with you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Peace.